Okay, welcome to the Five Elements podcast. This will be episode three. So if you're still here, I wonder why. So today we're going to be introducing a new, um, a new, what's it called? Like a segment. segment. Okay, so we have segments <laughs> now. We're getting legit. We're going to introduce a new segment called Roses and Thorns, which we're going to do at the start of every episode so that we can celebrate the good in the world and also wallow in the misery of our current world. <laughs> thought it was a little more raw and honest. So this is an idea that Sam gave me and we, we do it on and off, mostly off. But when we do it, it's good. Um, it originates actually as a game that our audio engineer, shout out to you, Suze, and I used to play Yeah, uh, as a way to like unpack the day. So let's unpack the day. For Roses sure. and thorns. Well, secondly, and then what we're going to get to is this episode's going to be tailored more around goal setting. We're going to talk about some strategies that are going to help around fitness goal setting and just some things that we do with our clients. We do personally to help you get deeper into your goal setting. And hopefully you can leave this episode with a little bit more information about how to successfully set up goals to help you reach them with your fitness journey. Absolutely. Okay. So let's get started with some roses and thorns, Sammy. Okay. Rose. Okay, you go rose first. Yeah, I'm going to go rose first. I feel motivated by my current training program. I'm really enjoying it. I feel very challenged and it's going pretty well. Like I'm amazed by how strong I am. Cool. Okay. Uh, Thorn. There is <laughs> a stagnant <laughs> and listless energy in the air and I am tired of it. Yeah, I, I feel you there. Cons yeah. It's consuming. It is consuming. It seems to be affecting everybody. Uh, no one can seemingly put their finger on exactly what it is that brings us so much disdain in our kind of almost post-COVID reality. That's the thing. It, it feels like objectively, I don't know, whoever's listening, we're in Ontario. They just lifted, like we can have full, full capacity at a Leafs game or a Raptors game and you, the chili peppers are coming. Yeah. And we're like, cool. You know, I thought things were gonna, it was gonna, there was going to be a feeling of like, okay, everything's back Elation. to normal. Yeah, nice. It's a red hot chili peppers. Um, <laughs> but that hasn't really been the case. It's kind of still feeling stagnant and like listless, as you said. Yeah, it's confusing. I've read a lot about it. I've listened to many different takes on what's sort of causing this weird sort of flux limbo that we all feel like we're in at the moment. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with we expected COVID to have sort of an end date. Yeah. There's like an end to a war. Yeah. There's no end yet. Like a We're hard not, set date. Yes. It's just gradually getting a little bit better. Yeah. Because I don't know, anyone else in Ontario listening, we had one of the most intense lockdowns in the world. Um, <laughs> and yeah. we've been out of it for a while now and it's way better than when we were in lockdown, but there's still this feeling like lingering habits and behaviors mm -hmm. that were formed in lockdown, which was like a over a fucking year for us. Yeah. That are, are seemingly still lingering around and it's not fun. Well, I don't want to get into the nervous system. As you get into <clears throat> the nervous system. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the thing that I hear the most often is I feel so tired. Yeah. Everybody seems to be feeling really tired. And it does make sense if you think about the nervous system and what we just experienced and went through isn't that far in the past. No. So it makes sense that sort of a rebound effect might be feeling abnormally tired. Yeah. I mean, we, we took the week off last week from sessions. 
we did mostly just online work yeah. and slept all it's like not all day but i usually get up at 5 a.m and then since i get up i wake sammy's ass up so we get up at 5 a.m and we were sleeping until eight or nine and you we would have thought that that would have made us just refreshed recharged yeah that wasn't the no. case <laughs> <laughs> so no, i feel you there yeah okay roses and thorns for you so one rose, I'll piggyback off your rose because I recently so just rude. hit a PR, a lifetime PR. I benched 300 pounds for the first time in my life, um, which for some of you might seem like not much. And for some of you might seem like a lot. For me, this was a lot. I didn't think I'd ever be able to do it. And I just did a eight week program specializing in it. One of Jeff Nippard's kind of generic programs on his website, which for generic programs are top notch. One of the things, it was just benching more, so three times per week, mm -hmm. and practicing heavy singles, which if you're trying to set new one rep maxes, you just got to get comfortable with hitting a one rep max, as yeah. we're like, for some context, I could do 285 or 290 for three, but then I'd put 300 in the bar and just get the yips. So that's not really a strength <laughs> limitation, it's more of a limit, a psychological limitation, because yes. I would pick up 300 and my mindset would change, and I'd be more like... I don't want to fuck this up or even more fear-based. Yeah. And I'm not lifting with execution and intention to attack the bar. It's kind of similar to like playing with house money. Mm -hmm. You just, you're on fire. You're like, oh, I can do this. Like, let's get after it. But when you're afraid to make a mistake, you almost self-prophesize a mistake. If that's, I don't know. I'm not that smart. But you bring a mistake up. Self-sabotage. Self-sabotage. You bring yeah. one upon yourself because you're afraid just to make that mistake. And then you almost, you make the mistake by proxy almost. Yes. And just doing heavy singles got me more acclimated to do so. And it was one of the things that really helped me get it. And I was super stoked on that. Yeah. You just referred to my Mario Kart theory again. Okay. So share, <laughs> share Mario Kart theory. My Mario Kart theory, if you were ever into playing N64, was like you're driving and you're staring at an object that you know you don't want to crash into. Yeah. And you're so hyper fixated on the object that you don't want to crash into that you drive directly for it. Yeah. And we tend to do that in life in a myriad of ways. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. that reminds me of playing sports when you're trying, when you're out there trying not to get hurt. Yes. And you almost bring upon more injurious behaviors because you're timid yeah. and you're tense the whole time and you're not actually executing, making you more vulnerable to getting lit up, being more exposed to risky situations and mm -hmm. more injury as opposed to just playing because you can get injured regardless, but being more timid in physical activity is probably an increasing likelihood for being injured and goes with lifting. It goes with, as you said, even life, like your behavior, you can mm -hmm. be so afraid of being something that you almost become that thing. Becoming someone. Yeah. <laughs> I, you, we were talking about that earlier. You were saying that. Yeah. Um, so Thorn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Thorn this week is, I'll share a little deeper about my own strange behaviors. I fucking irrationally hate being itchy. <laughs> I can't believe that you're bringing this up. I hate being itchy. Unbelievable. More, like, I would rather be in pain than, like, being itchy all day. And mild discomfort. Oh, mild, consistent discomfort is my <laughs> biggest pet peeve. <laughs> and I got bit or stung, doesn't matter, by a bee on, like, Tuesday. And I'd been telling Sam that I get, like, mild allergic reactions <laughs> She didn't believe me. Because I gaslit she, she gaslit me because she thinks that I embellish <laughs> everything because 73% of the time I probably do. But in this situation, I do have a mild reaction when I get bee stings. I don't know if it was a bite or a bee. Apparently they can bite. I don't fucking know anything about bees. But I do know that I hate them when they bite or sting me. And my arms swelled up. Swelled, it swelled up the next day yeah. and got itchy. And it was like hot to the touch, a little fluidy and just so itchy. And I've been 
I've been such a dick this week. <laughs> I've been so miserable. A monster. And one I'm just might itchy say. all the time and I'm like slapping my arm because apparently that's better than scratching it. I don't know. I did that when I, when I got tattoos. When I got tattoos, I hated the itchiness from the recovery more yeah. than the actual tattoo. And I, to, to be fair, I haven't gotten tattoos on any bony parts, but the pain from the tattoo, cakewalk compared to the itchy two weeks after when it's healing. So my thorn was just being miserable because I was mildly inconvenienced for three days straight and it's on the men. So we're good. <laughs> Sam hates it so much. I loathe it. Like yeah. I loathe it. Um, Yeah, he's been the most miserable shell of himself. <laughs> Because of a bee sting. It ruined, my, it ruined my week. It ruined his whole it week. And week. conversely, it ruined mine. I Yeah. So we're a team. Um, you know, we're mm -hmm. a team. Uh, Coach Partners Coach in life and business. So I get 100%. it everywhere I go. Every hour, all day, all the time. Exactly. <laughs> it's a joy. Yeah, one more rose is that Sam and I are celebrating our two-year anniversary True. on Monday. So tonight we're going to do a little fancy date night. And that's exciting. Because mm -hmm. we're, we're not ones to go on dates. I mean, we're going to bid on a couple. Yeah. We're going to go to a nice hotel. We're going to have a nice night. going to go for dinner. So that's a big rose. Salute. Yeah. Yeah. So. I guess we have to talk about goal setting. Okay. So where do you want to start? Ugh. That's a good question. Why is goal setting important? Okay. So goal setting, <laughs> in case we don't, I don't know, we talked about it in our first episode. Yeah. It's one of the five elements within our yes. strategic name of Five Elements Coaching, we actually put it as the first element. And yeah. the, the reason behind that was it was goal setting, mindset, training, nutrition, recovery. Mm -hmm. Because it was almost like a hierarchical approach where everything below was impacted by what's above. Mm -hmm. Your training, your nutrition, your recovery, and your mindset do need to be evolved around your goal, mm -hmm. right? So without a goal, you don't really have direction, and especially with fitness. Um, fitness goal setting is... It can be complicated for some because some people set very unrealistic goals with fitness. Yes. Some people set way too many goals that actually contradict one another, which I've done. And some people, I wrote about this today in the weekly uh, recap email, I believe, or maybe it was an article. I don't know. I've been on goals this week. But goal setting for some people is deeply uncomfortable because it does require some vulnerability. Yes. Being vulnerable not only with others, which you don't have to be, but at least with yourself yeah. so that you can express a want and need that you are willing to work toward. Daring to dream. Yeah. And some people are dreamers, which that's kind of like me. Like I'll set a million goals and then I, I almost like goal setting more than I like achieving the goal sometimes. I'm the opposite. Yeah. And Sam, I actually thought about, you know, I wrote that because sometimes yeah. it's like, who cares? Why bother? It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I've set goals in the past and it didn't happen. It's too idealistic. Yes. And then for someone like me, I'll set a million goals, get overwhelmed by them all, then feel like a failure. So goal mm -hmm. setting is very valuable, but it's also a tricky skill that you need to learn how to maneuver around so that you can set yourself up for success with your goals. Absolutely. And I mean, we kind of looked at that hierarchy from a place of direction. Yeah. Because if you don't have the goal that you're working towards, it's hard to know like what path you're going to take to get there. Yeah. And we ourselves, and we've seen many people historically who for one reason or another, whether it's like in setting too many goals or in setting too broad of goals, you know, goals that lack in specificity, the path instead of being like kind of linear, ends up being more like a zigzag or a big circle. Yeah, the circle. <laughs> Circles are really the common. The circle is, yeah. I mean, re achieving goals, it's cliche, but it's always that squiggle to get there, right? But as long as it's trending toward, 
like Sam, as you just said, a lot of yeah. times it's just that circle where you end up exactly right where you started, mm -hmm. resetting the same goal for like the hundredth time. Yeah. And I mean, goals also do have a lot to do with self-efficacy in a way because yeah. people, a lot of people come to the space of health and fitness um, in an attempt to like gain confidence or an attempt to gain like sort of self-esteem. And one of the ways that you gain confidence or self-esteem is in being able to like tick off the box of goals that you've hit. Yeah. So it definitely does make sense that if we do not figure out the right path to achieving our goals and we don't accomplish them, that that would only make us feel a lot worse. Yeah. I mean, failing goals, failing at a goal can make us really feel shitty about ourselves oh and God. almost about the process. You, I'll, I'm going to ask for you on the spot here. Yeah. You had said that was one thing where, and this was outside of fitness goals, but you kind of had some dreams or some like things that you were working toward. And then when they got sidetracked, you were like, I don't like planning anymore because of that. Okay. So again, type A personality, which lends me to loving making a plan. Like I love planning. If we are going on a vacation, I'm going to plan the itinerary because I want to and it brings me joy. Yeah. So I get very attached to the plan, the execution, the outcome. And when it doesn't go my way and when life throws a wrench into the middle of my carefully constructed plan, I fall apart. So my overcorrection to that was, so the problem was in the expectation of an outcome, have no expectation yeah. of any outcome. Yeah. Well, we, we like extremes, yes. right? Because I know that it's better to, as, as opposed to go from like, okay, expectations I had, mm -hmm. they didn't come to fruition. So I'm just not going to have expectations. That's a that's almost the easier approach initially. The nihilistic one, for sure. But realistic, but a, but a more practical approach, or at least successful one, I think, in the long term, is like changing your relationship to expectations and learning mm -hmm. how to manage them better. But that is really hard to do because yes. at least in, in the short term, it's hard to do. In the short term, it's just easy to make large changes. And like diet comes to mind here where mm -hmm. a diet doesn't work. It's like, okay, I was vegan. It didn't work. You know what? I'm going to go carnivore. Okay. So I'm going polar opposite. When in reality, you could just be like, you know what? It didn't completely work, but I liked a lot of it. Here's what I'm going to keep about it and add in some animal proteins. So just yeah. for that example there. But that's, you know, that's the moderate approach. And ironically, it's harder even though it's more moderate. It's the approach that doesn't derive from emotional reactivity. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because the contrast to that is being emotionally reactive. So like, let's say you're in the middle of a great training block and you're really enjoying it. And then you have a move coming up and you have to move homes, which is a stressful life situation. Yeah. It's going to throw you a curveball. You're not going to have the emotional, mental, or physical energy to throw towards putting your best into training that week. And instead of pulling yourself back or giving yourself the space to maybe like take a deload, uh, do the best you can, you see it as a failure. Yeah. And then you throw out the whole program because it was a waste. And then you start fresh again. Yes. Over I, uh, and over and over. I wrote about that on Monday mm -hmm. with the uh, Monday Mindset email where it was, and it was actually an idea you gave me that you got from another coach. Uh, <laughs> Explain. <laughs> so it was like an inception of ideas from coaches. But it was the flipping the switch or turning up or adjusting the dial. Yes. Right. And for using that example, 
you're doing great in your program, the switch is on, you know, you're eating well, you're getting your sleep, Mm -hmm. you're training your ass off, everything. And then something that is out of your control happens that throws you off. And instead of turning down the dial to match what's what's appropriate to what you can handle, you just flip the switch off and then you're like, fuck it going to do whatever I'm going to do. And then come Monday, I'm flipping the switch back on, which a lot of the times those behaviors can snowball and you can flip that switch off for like two months and then flip it back on and be excessive about it. When in reality, a better approach, even though one that takes a little bit more pragmatism is, okay, let's turn down the dial for the next month because shit's about to get really busy. You know, maybe I'll go from three sessions a week to two and Mm -hmm. those two sessions, maybe they're a little bit shorter and they're more, this fits within my lifestyle for the next month. And then when things slow down, I'm cranking that thing back up and we're getting back at it as opposed to on and off. Well, there's a big difference between intentionally pulling yourself back and like letting life completely derail you. Yeah. And I think we often forget that. Um, We look towards balance as this like ideal place that we'll eventually all get to where everything is just like in sync. Yeah. Life is never in balance. It's always in flux. And there will be times in your year and in your life where you have more energy and more space to put towards like training really hard and being completely dialed in. And then there are going to be times in your life where shit hits the fan and you have no choice but to pull back. Yeah. But pulling back is always going to be better than giving up altogether. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, one thing that comes to mind with that is there's other areas in our world and our culture where we know this is is useful. Mm-hmm. And two that come to mind are business and sports. Mm-hmm. So with sports, if you're playing, if your team is on the lower end of standings, so like say in hockey or basketball, it's very common for the fan base to be like, tank it. Let's mm-hmm. do a rebuild, right? Because where we're at right now with what we have, we can't reach our goals. Yeah. So let's rebuild take a step back so that we can increase our ceiling. Mm -hmm. And that does mean you almost throw away a season. You still show up, you still try to get better, but you're actively rebuilding to get better. Mm -hmm. You're not just giving up, right? You're planning a setback for a comeback kind of thing. And in business, same thing. Every business knows there's times where you're going to make money and there's times where you're going to spend money and you're going to be investing and maybe your profits aren't as high, but your investments are high and vice versa. I'm not a business Mm -hmm. person, but from the business people that I train, that's kind of, (laughs) I guess technically we are. (laughs) You are a I mean, like, we have a business. But I'm not a. I'm not a business person. Oh, um, Dylan. I'm not a businessman. I'm a business <laughs> man. No, but. I love that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, of business people that I'm trained, they say, yeah. like, yeah, not all, not not. They say the worst companies that they've worked for are the ones that emotionally overreact to any bad quarter. Yeah. So they have a bad quarter, and it's like all hands on deck. But in a good company, the head CEOs are like, you know what? Bad quarter, here's why, but we're, we're growing for potentially better quarters in the future. And that's what turning down the dial can be like for you, where it's like, hey, this isn't working right now with what I expect, but I'm going to turn it down to match my constraints. And that's going to set me up for when I can get back that I'm in a better place to ramp it up than coming from a fully detrained state or haven't worked out in two months and gained weight because I said, fuck it, I'm going to eat whenever I want until I can turn the switch on again. For sure. So goal setting. Goal setting. <laughs> I, I never rant. <laughs> not not me. I not, knew not my I'd style. have to peel you back from a tangent. I mean that that's part that's partially your role, right? We're a team. <sighs> I did like drag you out of bed to do, to do this, <laughs> and then you have to reel me in when I rant. Uh, podcasting takes discipline. It really does. It really does. I know you, you listen to podcasts. You're like, oh, they're just having fun, which we are. Yeah. But like. 
there's, I don't know, I'm like, I get a little nervous before I get on, get on the mic. Yeah. And I'm like, or would we have our ducks in a row? Like, what are we going to be doing? And then I always sit down and it's just having a conversation. So my brain is just going, how does this relate to goal setting? It's a podcast, Sammy. We're going to talk. It's in setting a goal. Yeah, we're going to. This is setting a goal. The goal is to podcast every week. And what True. does it take to show up for that goal? It means getting out of bed when you really don't feel like True. it that and when you're discipline. really cold. Yeah, we, we set these up for Fridays and our mm. weeks are crazy. So by the end of Friday where we do this at like 3 p.m., it's like, oh, my God, I could lay in I'm bed tapped. and just watch whatever show we're watching. I want to shut down like a robot. Yeah, but we didn't. And this is the first step. Step one. So look at us. Okay. Goal setting. Yeah, back to it. <laughs> so we talked about why it's important. Okay. Let's talk about some strategies that are useful in effective goal setting. So in your eyes and mm -hmm. with clients and with yourself, what do you notice as being a really effective strategy or things that increase likelihood of success or that are super important? I mean, are we going into SMART goals? SMART goals smart are everything. Goals. Yeah, you can talk about SMART goals. SMART goals are everything. And I think my favorite part about SMART goals is actually like, Okay, everything about it. So I was going to say the specificity. <laughs> My favorite thing about SMART goals is that they're specific, measurable, actionable. Literally, that's it. Yeah, like, okay. that's exactly it. Because, yeah. you know, like, not all goals are going to be, okay, we love <laughs> immediate gratification. Yeah, yeah. We love the feeling of something being immediately gratifying on yeah. every single level. And how often are your goals immediately gratifying? Yeah. I mean, a goal that's meaningful won't be gratifying. A hundred percent. Or yeah, like not long Immediately into the- gratifying. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> it will be. eventually be gratifying. But like it takes a long time. So I realized, I remember when I did an assessment, like a fitness assessment. Should I say it? What, that Equinox? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I did a TRX fitness assessment. No one's going to know what that means. So. Whatever. So Jonathan cut this all out. No, don't cut it out. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Okay. It's just, it's it's like the <laughs> highest level of assessment at the former gym that we were at. For sure. So they were talking about goals and setting goals. And I was a little overwhelmed because the overarching theme and like driving force behind my goals is an aging well. But that's not specific enough. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. small enough. And it's not something that we can measure. It's not tangible. There's no like real time frame. How will I know when I've hit that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's a hard one to measure out and be specific. With. Exactly. So yes, it encourages me to take good care of myself. But in my day-to-day -day existence, does it really have, does it bear weight on me? Probably not. It's one of, that's a unique goal too, because it is so far in proximity yes. that you can very easily push it off. Absolutely. Yeah. I can be like, well, I'll take five years to behave like an absolute asshole and I'll take care of myself after that. But I don't. Yeah. So it's interesting, like in hearing the why and the driving force behind people's goals and then narrowing them down, like we're all so different. Yeah. We're all so, so different. There are overarching themes. For sure, like behind the why and the driving force. I hear a lot of confidence. Yeah, confidence is a huge one. Self-esteem, self-efficacy, I guess. Yeah. Like knowing that I can do what I want to and say I'll do. That's like, that's one of the big ones I see is, and it's one of the most valuable things I see in just setting a goal and having a goal. Yeah. Is the more you do that, the more you add repetition to I'm setting out to something, I'm sacrificing to achieve that thing, and then I'm going to achieve it. Yeah. And like, 
we do that in a lot of ways in life. And the most meaningful things we do, that's typically what it requires. And Mm -hmm. one thing that comes to mind is like a university degree. I don't have one, but Mm -hmm. I'm just, I know a lot of people who do. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it is epitome. It's it's a smart goal. Like it's specific. You're like, what am I going to do? I'm going to get a degree. And it's measured. It's time bound. It's four Mm -hmm. years, six years, whatever. The measurement of it is by grading over periods of time. It's actionable. Like here's your actions. You got to go to class. You got to do this. Mm -hmm. It's realistic for most, right? Or in a lot of situations. And it's so far in the future. But I've, I've talked to some people who, when they graduate, they're like, you know, first freshman year and actually i'll get your perspective on this because you're mm. a uh, post-secondary grad but first day of first year you're like oh to the degree feels a million miles away yeah. and day in and day out you like kind of follow the regimen and sometimes you do it like half drunk and hung over but you do it even when you don't want to do it because you feel like you have to you mm-hmm. got stake in the game you spend some money maybe you went into debt whatever um, your future's on the line you have all these things and then by the time you graduate i've constantly heard like it kind of flew and I, I, I didn't I couldn't imagine myself being here, but I'm here like, oh, my God. But don't you feel that way about your lifting career? 100%. Like I absolutely do yeah. where people are like, how do you do it? And I'm like, I I just show up. I just show up on the days where I really don't feel like it. And yeah. I run to it on the days where I do. But there's no ceremony after four years of lifting where you get a fancy piece of paper. No, but then you congrats, look back. You're, you're jacked. Yeah. But I mean, you look back. <laughs> we should do that. We could. Yeah. A little university. (laughs) (laughs) I look back and I'm like, holy shit. Like I have made so much progress. Like just watching um, training videos of myself, not even of the amount of weight that I'm lifting, but the competence is wild to see. I think you posted that reel where you're like kind of looking at some of your original lifts. And I don't know, you're really hard on yourself. Fuck, everyone's always so hard on themselves with their lifts. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I look like Bambi. Like, this looks so unstable. It looked okay. It just doesn't look what I it looks like now. I looked awkward and uncoordinated. Compared to now, yeah. For sure. I look like Bambi on ice. And now I look more like Bambi running through the woods. Yeah, and that took years. And <laughs> It takes years. Most goals that will mean something to you will take years. Absolutely. And to just beat this university analogy to the ground... You know, it's a it's a four year or a six year or whatever, mm-hmm. but you do you got to break it down into chunks, right? So you don't if if a university degree is broken down into okay, you're just doing this for four years, no breaks, like no courses, like like mm-hmm. there's courses, but they're not all like broken down into chunks. It would be holy shit overwhelming. Yeah, but it's broken down into like semesters, and then even of each course, there's like a what a try what's it called again? a midterm. So there's like halfway through and it's like week by week. And that's how you break down a huge goal as opposed to saying like, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds. It's no like, okay, I want to lose the first 10. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to break it down into chunks because meaningful yes. goals are usually large and looking at the whole mountain as opposed to like segments of the mountain that you're looking towards. Mm-hmm. You're better off looking at each segment as opposed to just looking up at the top each time because each step seems so meaningless. It's like eating an elephant. That's that's this is one of Sam's this is Sam's <laughs> mom's favorite saying. What is it? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. See, you knew the answer. But like who eats elephants? <laughs> Nobody. Like, I'm so confused by it's this. It's just that an elephant elephant is enormous and to eat an elephant would take a lot longer <laughs> than to eat a small piece of meat. Yeah, I guess there's do we eat any large animals? Uh, you're like not elephant uh, size? No. Yeah. Closest would be a boar? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, okay. But I don't know. People buy cows. It takes them like a year to eat it as a you can, family. Yeah, the, the, the analogy holds up with a cow. <laughs> Thanks. The analogy holds up with a 20-ounce <laughs> steak, to be honest. 
You oh one my bite God. at a time. Yeah. But if you focus, if you're not <sighs> looking at the bites and you're looking at the whole piece, it can be overwhelming. And that's one of the things that is useful in goal setting. And we do that so often. My clients do that. Like everyone does that where you're like, you're looking at the space between where you are and where you want to be. And yeah. it just seems infinite. For sure. It's like staring into the abyss. And instead of staring into the abyss, chunk it down. Yeah. Like just chunk it down into small little tiny bite sized portions where you can notice. So I did make some progress. So I did change a little bit. So yeah. things are going in the right direction. It's not always about and destination, it's kind of about like what was the process to get there. Yeah. I mean, to your point, if you don't chunk it down and celebrate the chunks, you're not going to have, you're not going to feel that reward because everything is going to be compared to the ultimate goal. So yes. say, let's use a weight loss example. You're trying to lose 30 pounds. If you lose 10, but you expected to lose 30, you won't care about the 10. You'll just mm -hmm. see the 20 you didn't lose. And it come, brings to mind this, I think Sam and I were talking about it as an analogy I kind of thought of where like, you know what? I feel like people would rather get paid $85,000 per year than 90% of $100,000 per year. <laughs> Even though 90% yeah. is technically more, what you're going to be hearing is, wait, where about that 10%? Like, where'd yeah. that go? Why can't I have that? But if you're like, I'm going to give you a, a, I'm going to give you a little bit more than 80, which I'm going to give you 85. You're like, oh, that's amazing. I didn't expect to get 85. Mm -hmm. But if you expected 100 and got even 95, it's still more than 85, but it doesn't meet your expectations. And that can be irrationally overwhelming. Or like, this doesn't meet my, meet my expectations, even though it's better than where I was before. Definitely. Um, I see this a lot with the scale, for sure. Yeah, that's the, this is the biggest one. And it's a quantitative measure too, like numbers can have the, a really good ability to like deter people. So for the people who are a little more weight loss focused, it'll be the number on the scale. And for the people who are more performance driven, you'll hear, but the number on the bar just isn't enough yet. It's always a number. Yeah. Or the per, their perception of lifting. Like, oh my God, It's yes. just so hard. And I'm like, that, that can change on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Yes. So it's kind of like, I mean, if I look at myself, great example, this week... I start off my week with squats. Yeah. And it's like it's a my whole ordeal. It's my hardest lift. It's not a pretty one. <laughs> oh, here, see, here we go. Everyone, like self language. Here I we know, go. I know. It's it's just it's really challenging for me. It costs me a lot mentally and physically to show up. Yeah. So I did the thing. I showed up and my session went very poorly. It ruined I, your day. It ruined my day. Yeah. It actually ruined my day. Yeah. And instead of kind of looking at the big picture and being like in the process to achieving my goals, my goal being to squat heavy and competently, I'm really improving, You're like killing it. killing it. And yet if I stared at the microcosm of that one workout which I couldn't seem to get out of that day, yeah. it was enough to destroy me. Yeah. Yeah. It'll derail you. Yeah. That, that's like the management of expectations is... It's your perspective. A hundred percent. It's yes. so underrated. So let's talk about some SMART goals. So okay. to break it down, some people use different acronyms. So the one that I most commonly use is specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time-bound. Not attainable. The reason why I like actionable is attainable and realistic are just synonyms. Like there's so much redundancy there and actionable I find to be a valuable one because if you can't take action toward the goal, 
in, in that moment. Like you can set a specific goal mm-hmm. that is realistic. It's all these things, but you actually can't take action. And one thing that comes to mind is mm-hmm. during the peak of the pandemic in lockdown, if your goal was to hit a bench press PR, but you didn't have access to a gym, it's not an actionable goal. But see, goal. then it's also not attainable. You can't have yeah. it. Yeah. I meant, so I guess they, they are, they, you, they're interchangeable. I like it as like, hey, what, what do I need to do to take action on this right now, right? Um, so it's, there's other ways of going about it. When I was looking up for like the email I was reading and the article on smart goals, like, mm-hmm. yeah, there was more things that said attainable. I just find it to be a little bit redundant, but that's just some semantics. But that's kind of. <laughs> the man loves semantics. Lo- I love a good semantic. Oh, I could debate uh, him for days. <laughs> <laughs> but. So that's kind of the gist of what a smart goal is. Mm-hmm. So those are some; those are the key ingredients of the cocktail when you're setting up a goal. Mm-hmm. And if the, one of those things are missing, it's not the end of the world. But it is important to make sure that those things are there commonly and hopefully in totality so that you have a really clear understanding of what you're working towards. So I love that it starts with specific yeah. because this is actually the first place where people go wrong. Yeah. They'll set specific goals, but they'll set like five specific goals that all contradict each other. Yeah. So that's usually like flaw number one. Um, You set your beautifully specific goals, but you're setting too many at one time. Yeah. You're biting off more than you can chew and mm-hmm. more than what is realistic towards you Yep. and your life. And then the specificity of it also propels you to shift your your behavior and your mm-hmm. training and nutrition towards that specifically. Yeah. Because without it, like, People will give an example like a vague goal, like, you know, I'll lose weight. That's not that lacks specificity because like, hey, how yes. much do you want to lose? Right. Like, how are we going to measure this? What do you need to do for it? Is, is yeah. it even realistic? And what's the time frame as opposed to, yeah, I just want to lose weight. Or like, I want to deadlift 300, do an Ironman, compete in Tough Mudder, da, 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 And have da, more da. balance. Yes. <laughs> And become a yogi zen master. 100%. We've seen that before. Yeah, like a million times. And the problem is, yeah, those are all very specific things. I'm sure they all have very wonderful, measurable timeframes, like comp dates and whatever it might be. But the path to achieving them, each and every one of them is going to be phenomenally different to the next. Yeah. So that's usually a big issue with people that I find. So with that, for some practical advice that yeah. Sam and I'll give is so have your specific goal, mm-hmm. right? And make it specific. Like what are you actually working towards? Don't just say I want to get in shape or I want to lose weight or I want to get strong. What do mm-hmm. you want to get stronger at specifically? And then if you have any other goals, they should be complementary to your main goal. Mm-hmm. So example is, you know what? I want to get strong at the, I want to strengthen my deadlift and hit 200 pounds for the first time. A secondary goal that could be uh, beneficial is I want to build muscle. Because mm-hmm. that could potentially help. But if you also then say, I, I want to run a fast, a better 10K, aerobic exercise is not going to increase your one rep max, right? And taxing and your legs more throughout the week. hundred percent. That could get in the way of your training volume. That could get in the mm-hmm. way of your recovery. Muscles that are really good at long distance are usually not as good at developing really amounts, really high amounts of force, which yeah. you need for the deadlift. So make sure that your goals, your secondary and tertiary goals are mm-hmm. complementary to your specific main goal. Yeah. So like if you want to do an Ironman, that's amazing. Yeah. But the volume and type and style of training that you're going to have to undertake is going to be phenomenally different to the volume type and style or whatever of training that you're going to take if you want to like peak your bench press. Yeah. It's not going to, they might compete with each other. And the reality is 
I mean, I get this a lot actually with body comp goals. So women who want to build a large amount of muscle and lose a large amount of fat at yeah. the exact same time. And yes, body recomp, love it. So about it. Yep. So complicated. But for the most part, like if you have, let's say 50 pounds to lose and you also want to build like a significant amount of muscle, you're not going to chase both at the same time. Yeah. Prioritizing one over the other is probably going to yield a better result. The way that I would frame that yeah. with a client, for example, mm -hmm. the one that you just gave is, all right, our main focus is fat loss. Mm -hmm. That's what we're tailoring your diet towards, your activity, yes. et cetera. But we're trying to get jacked in the process. You're not Absolutely. going to get jacked. You're not going to put on a ton of muscle. If you're fully detrained, you can put on some. Yeah. And yes, overweight folks can recomp a little bit better than leaner sure. people. But the main focus is fat loss. And you're trying to get jacked along the process yes. so that you can maintain more muscle or even build, keep your metabolic rate higher mm -hmm. and look a certain way. Because usually fat loss goals, on if they're, if they're at all aesthetic related, mm -hmm. muscle building is important. Yes. Right. If they're just health related, muscle building is still important, but maybe not as much important or as important. So that's kind of how that would go. But if your expectations yes. are, I'm going to gain 10 pounds of lean mass and lose 50 pounds of fat mass. That might not be very realistic and you might be setting yourself up for failure, even if you achieve 90% of that. Yeah. And I mean, there's also just so much misinformation floating around on social media that kind yeah. of like leads everybody to believe that like the only way to build muscle is to be in a calorie surplus. So you'll have people who are like, I have about 50 pounds to lose, but everybody's saying I need to be in a calorie surplus. Yeah. No, that's not the case. Yes. Especially for someone in that population. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's more applicable. If you're really lean, then yeah, get in a calorie surplus. But for most people, even if you're in a calorie surplus, it doesn't have to be a big one, a very small one. We really. love maintenance or yeah. gaintenance. Or recomposition. And this is for average people, of course. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So that's more of like the specific side of it. So yeah. second, let's make sure that it's measurable. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, your ex and your relationship to all of these metrics matters. So yes. if when measuring your success and measuring your progress, you need to be okay with not always reaching the expectations or reaching what you think. Mm -hmm. It's it's all data collection. So if you didn't lose weight over a three period three week period of time, you can analyze and be like, why not? Like what did get in the way? Mm -hmm. Haven't been compliant, you know? Maybe I am losing fat and gaining a little bit of muscle, which is sabotaging the scale weight. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, you know what, I haven't been as compliant as I think. Or actually, you know, maybe my calories are too high. Like that's mm -hmm. a good way to reflect on your data and your measurements. But if you don't measure it, it's pretty hard to actually assess whether or not you're seeing progress. So like from a non-fat loss perspective, let's say you had a test day and you were trying to bench 300 and you failed. What do you do then? So for me, I would look at, you know, what was my pro training program like? Mm hmm was I actually practicing the specific skill that I was working toward? In that context, the specific skill was heavy, one mm -hmm. heavy single reps of bench press. Mm -hmm. If my program was made up of a lot of five by five, which is a great strength foundation, mm -hmm. you know, sets of three, sets of six and mm -hmm. higher reps and my one rep max didn't increase, I could look there and be like, yeah, it, my program lacked specificity. Mm -hmm. Then I could look at, you know what, how were my training sessions? Mm -hmm. You know, what was my intensity like during them? Did I actually push myself? What was my nutrition like? Mm -hmm. What was my recovery like? What were all the metrics in my program like? And you know what? If everything was dialed in yeah. and like perfect and I didn't achieve it, the goal just might not have been realistic. Okay. Right? Yeah. I always check in with my physiology. 
Yeah, I don't have that. Whenever I don't show up the way I thought I would, I don't have I'm physiology. Like, of course you don't. Of course. <laughs> um, but like, you know, as a woman, I track my cycle and sometimes I'll show up and something that should have been like an RPE six felt like an RPE ten. <laughs> I'll be like, Yeah. What's going on with the hormones today? Little things like that. Or did I sleep enough? Did I eat well yesterday? How stressed am I? Those little things will always give you hints. Yeah. For sure. So that's measurable. Yeah. Um, Next, we'll look at like actionable or attainable. The way that I would have framed that is, is your goal, can you take action toward it today? Yes. Because if you can't take action toward it today, then you're not setting yourself up for success. Right. So a good example here is, you know, some people are like, I don't want to drink more water. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a water bottle, you're really setting yourself up for a lot of steps on a daily basis. Like I got to go out of the way. I got to go buy a water bottle. If you just have one available, smooth out the friction. So it's like, oh, I just fill it up and it's in front of me and I drink it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good example of you, you can take action toward it or like having access to a gym. You know, if you're in a really, really stressful time in your life where mm-hmm. like you're eating out a lot and you're not really in control of your diet. Yeah. I'm not convinced you can take significant action towards a weight loss goal, but you, maybe you can take more action towards increasing your activity and eating a little bit slower and those things. But a really strict weight loss goal might not be the most beneficial goal for that time period. <laughs> so I've had this conversation a myriad of times and it's something along the lines of like, I really want to eat better. But, you know, I just don't have the food in my house. Like I I never go to the store and get the food I need. Yeah. And I'm always just like, but who provides food for you within your home? And the person I'm speaking to unequivocally always says I am. And it's like, okay, so if you're at home and there's no food to make, you're going to get Uber Eats, period. If you have food in the house, the likelihood of you actually making the meal that you said you would increases. Of course. Yeah. So it's like simple things, even down to that little microcosm that make a huge difference. It's like being prepared to do the thing. I mean, we don't always have control. We don't have control over the external environments in the world. Of course. But a lot of us have control over the internal environments. So, um, you know, some of us might not. And there is a level of privilege in this, this discussion. But if you have the ability to shape the environment in your home to make it more conducive to your goals and you don't, and you wonder why you're not achieving them, I would actually look there first. Yeah. Because, you know, at some point in any goal and any any journey, discipline and hard hard work comes into play. Mm-hmm. But that should not be the first line of defense. If your home and your environment that you're spending a lot of your time up is basically setting you up to fail, discipline will have to be a very common line of defense because mm-hmm. you're always up against it. But if your home is full of whole foods, you know, you're setting your your workday up or whatever, um, or what, your lifestyle up so you have to walk a lot or that you move around a lot and you have all these hobbies and you have things mm-hmm. that keep you active and eating whole foods, et cetera, and you've scheduled workouts in your calendar, these things will mean you have to break those habits to not do beneficial yes. things. But if you don't set that up, you're basically setting yourself up to always have to white knuckle it through situations that maybe you had could have had more control over to make it easier along the way. For sure. So that's how I would put that there with the environment kind of discussion and making sure it's actionable. Environment is such a complicated topic. I know people. I could get into it for an hour. I don't think people like it. I talk about it a lot and it never gets great reception. And I don't know if people are just like, yeah, I don't know if I want to hear it. If it's not as motivating. It's not within your control. People like yeah. what's within their control, right? So 
the unfortunate reality is that we live in an obesogenic environment. Yeah. Um, Can you kind of elaborate on that for people who might not know what that means? Okay. So within North America, the way that our cities are constructed, the way that our society is constructed, the way that we operate and function is based off of convenience for the most part. So being sedentary is very within reach and reaching for health is kind of something you have to go out of your way to acquire yeah, um, or to achieve. So little things like fast food is cheap. It's reliable. It's everywhere. It's convenient. Uber eats. Yeah. Oh my God. Unbelievably like, convenient. We're sedentary. We're always sitting and we're always driving. We don't really have to walk anywhere. Our cities are not designed to be like as walkable or commutable or bike friendly, things like that. It all adds up in the grand scheme of the totality of your health. Yeah. Um, and it just means that people have to go out of their way to engage in those like healthier stereotypical behaviors. Yeah. Um, so to eat Whole foods means that you have to go to the grocery store, buy them, bring them home. And now you're worried about the produce that might go bad and da, 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 da. Like there's more to think about. There's more to do. And then within your own home or within your office, because that can be a big one too. But within your own home, let's say you and your partner aren't on the same page. You've decided that you want to undertake your own health journey. And your partner is more than content to live off of Uber Eats for the rest of their life. Yeah. What do you do? You either have to white knuckle it and find sort of that discipline and the impetus not to partake. And that's within the comfort of your own home. Yes. And it can go either way. For some people, disappointing their partner by saying no is easier because they're their partner. And for some people, it's harder because they're their partner. But regardless, I mean... It that could be a, a, a core issue within any given relationship, whether it's Absolutely. romantic or not, where, you know, we're on different pages with this very, and food and, and meals are, are historically, they connect us. They're very bonding, beha- yes. bond, bonding, I don't know what I'm looking for, but you know what I mean? Bonding behaviors, bonding. Um, why am I stuck on this? Because <laughs> you keep people going to the word over. bonding. Yeah, people bond over it. And I mean, if you and your partner and your friends are all on different pages here, you know, it's really hard to further that relationship, but also avoid and set boundaries around the behaviors and activities that you get close with, right? And a good example here for anyone in their like 30s or actually kind of anyone who's been through a drinking phase, this might resonate. If you were ever really social and drinking a lot and then tried to be like, you know what, I'm done, but your friends were all really social and drank a lot, that probably resulted in either you kind of making different friends or giving back in or some people can still go out to the bars and like not drink at all, but that's not fun to be the sober person at a bar. Yeah. So you're kind of left in this weird position. You're like, you know, I don't, I don't really want to be involved in the activities that I formed these friendships with, but I still love my friends. But if I'm around them in that environment, I'm more likely to drink or to not have fun. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation there. Well, yeah. So one of the moments where I was the most aware of this in my entire life was not in like the pressure to drink because nobody wants to drink alone, but often nobody wants to eat alone either. And my mother is someone who historically has emotionally regulated with food. So what? said, holla at your boy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You're dating your mother. Basically who doesn't, (laughs) (laughs) who doesn't end up in a relationship with one or both of their parents. Yeah. Cool. So I hear. 
Ah, trauma. So um, my mother has a habit of emotionally regulating with food. So much so that if she has a bad day, she deserves it. If she has a good day, she deserves it. Either way, all roads oh, I end know. in oh, I know that. emotional regulation with food. Yeah. So there would be, you know, Thursday afternoons where it's like, have let's go out and get ice cream or let's go do this. And it's always a food-centered activity. And especially when I was at the height of my vegan orthorexia, she would specifically try to encourage me to eat foods that weren't vegan. So it was the hardest no for me in the world. And you end up being in this position where you're like, I don't know if it's worse if I give in and don't stand my ground and don't operate in a way which is in alignment with my values or if I have to like bear their disappointment. Yeah. Because I didn't meet their, uh, you know, their own expectations. It's a shitty place to be. It's a shitty position to be in. And it gets even more complicated when the person in question is your partner. Yeah. Because you're also not in a relationship that fundamentally doesn't have the same level of parity. in a Or, romantic- or you can even grow apart. Right? Yeah, for sure. If you're eating dinner separately because you're like, I'm, I'm eating this way and your partner's eating this way every night. I don't know. You and I eat dinner together every night. Yeah. Um, sometimes we do all watching stuff, but I find yeah. that when we do it together while not watching TV and just hang, that's when we have the most amount of bonding. For sure. For sure. And I mean, one of the most beautiful things I've heard recently was from a client who, you know, wanted to sort of refine her habits and behaviors around food and develop a healthier relationship with it along the way. I'm about and, that. Hmm? I'm about that. Of course. At first, it was like a solo undertaking. Like she lives with her husband. They've been married for so many years and they have a beautiful, beautiful relationship. And he's actually the one who cooks dinner every night. Yeah. So at first she was kind of saying like, do you mind making this or do you mind making this? And then she would notice that as the week wore on, the whole foods that she had in the house would have run out by then. And she was more likely to lean on like quick and easy Things that were, you know, in the freezer, not as much uh, health focused, let's say. And she felt like as the week went on, she was getting a little bit derailed. So I asked her if her partner would be willing to like sit down with her and the two of them could like co-create the meals together. Yeah. So they sat down, they made the meal plan, and then they realized that they actually needed to go to the farmer's market to acquire all of the things to cook with. So it became this like beautiful thing within their relationship that they actually did together. Yeah. And not every story will look like that by any means. Um, I've definitely spoken to a number of people who have not been on the same page as their spouse or their partner. Or their friends or their parents or whatever, right? Yeah, and it can create a little bit of friction for sure. And that's one of the things, like this this all ties into the actionable part of the goal setting. The more friction you face, the more likely you're not going to achieve your goal. And that's not to say any friction, oh, everything has to be smooth, but you want to mitigate any friction that you can because Mm -hmm. you inevitably will meet some friction with your goals. But if you're meeting it unnecessarily, that's not a good sign. It's kind of like with playing a sport. If you're playing basketball and you're fatigued in the first quarter, Hmm. you're fucked. Yeah. You want to make sure that that, you want to save energy and be able to work efficiently and still score points and be in the lead and then maximize that fatigue in the fourth quarter. But if you're doing it the start of the game, 
you're not going to last. And that's kind of how you want to look at friction of like, all right, this friction should be fourth quarter. This should be buzzer beating friction. This should be, you know, at the tail end when I'm really dialing it in. It shouldn't be two days into my new um, behavior and habit where I'm already running into large friction and white knuckling it. Yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah. So realistic is kind of next there. Okay. Right. Making sure that your goals are realistic and, you know, weight loss is is an easy one here, but it can go to strength. It can go to real anything of like, make sure that it's a a realistic amount of weight lost in a realistic time frame. Mm -hmm. Or what are some other examples? A realistic PR. Yeah. Always. Like personal record with a list. Yeah. Like if you're squatting 150 this week, maybe don't set a goal to squat 300 by next. Yeah. 100%. That's an easy one to look at. But it's really important that you do set goals that are realistic because as I mentioned before, if you achieve 90% of a really unrealistic goal, that means you did something amazing, but you're comparing it to what you expected. And it's literally cliche to know the key to being unhappy is mismanaged or unmet expectations. I think it's also about like falling in love with the process, right? Because along, let's say your big goal is to squat 300 pounds. Along the way, you're going to hit so many little milestones and you need to fall in love with like the micro goal as much as the macro goal, the process to getting to that big goal. Like there's so much magic that happens along that road. You learn so much about yourself. You practice so much of your like discipline and grit in a way and like even self-compassion a lot of the time because achieving a big goal like that takes a lot of self-compassion because there will be days where it feels like absolute shit and it feels like you're getting nowhere and you have to be able to like not throw it all out the journey to getting there is just as rewarding if you look at it from the right perspective and it's never from the perspective of I'm zoomed out, here's my big goal and I'm nowhere near it. Yeah. You have to learn to sort of embrace and enjoy the space between you and that like moment of holy shit, I did it. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, yeah, it's not just all or nothing kind of thing. Yeah. So realistic and then time round. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this one's the one you don't need to focus on the most of like yeah. having a time frame. Time frames can be ne- can be negative if you put too unrealistic of one or you really stress your out. But having some sort of time frame and time bound is important so that you know when you're working towards it. Also to set up if it's realistic because losing 50 pounds in a lifetime is realistic, but mm-hmm. putting an appropriate time bound on it can make it realistic. And in my experience, it can also be useful for if you don't within that time period and it was realistic, then you can assess, okay, what what could I have done better within that time yeah. period? Well, it's a, it's a way to stay in check with yourself yeah. and to hold yourself accountable. And we all do a little bit better with a little bit of a fire under our asses. I'm that way. A hundred percent. I don't know anyone who doesn't operate that way, to be honest. But often when something seems so like, let's say my big goal to age well, if it's so far into the future, I'm like, who gives a shit today? Today is nothing. It's a write-off. I can toss this one up and the next 50 up in the air and not give a damn. So this actually touches on to something interesting. Yeah. I want to get your opinion on. So 
if your goal is more abstract like that, yeah. my first thought is, okay, and this is actually reminiscent of the tier X assessment mm-hmm. because in a lot in that assessment that when I was at my former employer and this was, I thought this was really um, smart was if it was an abstract goal mm-hmm. or like a behind a bigger purpose, we need to chunk down smaller goals mm-hmm. that will push you towards that. So yes. anti-aging, right? You can't really have a goal of like, hey, you were, you didn't reach this age well, or, anti-aging. or like being aging well. Yeah. Right. So things we know that correlate with that are going to be, you know, improved diets, getting stronger, more mm-hmm. sleep. So you can have goals around those subcategories and then use those over time to propel you towards aging better. Absolutely. And that's exactly the practice that I undertake because there's no way to tell when I've gotten to my goal. Yeah. I won't know. It's kind of like an in retrospect situation. Yeah. So I've had to chunk it down and figure out, well, what does being healthy mean to me? Yeah. What does aging well mean to me? What does that look like? What do I want to, yeah. Like what do I want to be able to do at 60, at 70, at 80? What do I not want? What do you want to be able to do? Sometimes anti-goals are really good. I love an anti-goal. What do I not want? Okay. That'll help you pinpoint and send yourself in the right direction, right? If you don't know your dreams, you should at least know your nightmares. Yes, 100%. So for me, it was like, what are are the goals within that? Like, what does healthy aging look like? And what does unhealthy aging look like? And for me, it was like, well, I know I don't want to be in the position of either of my parents. So okay. What, that, oh, interesting. Yeah, now this kind of ties in. I was thinking, yeah. I was like, well, where does aging thing come from? Oh, that makes completely. a ton of sense. It's my parents. They didn't yeah. take care of themselves. And now so you know what it's like to not take care of yourself with age. Yes. And you're like, well, I want to be the opposite of that. I for as long as I knew my parents or have known my parents, one who is deceased, hence new, one who is alive and well, hi, mom. And well, I really hope she's not listening to this. No, she she knows. <laughs> she knows this. Believe me, we've had plenty of conversations because in all reality, like for close to 10 years that I knew my father, every conversation we had was centered around his health yeah. and really not his good health, but his Lack of. Lack thereof. And with my mother now, it's something that we try to touch on and then move on to something positive. Because like she literally said to me the other day, I don't want you to remember me as somebody who only brought you nothing but negative. And that's the reality. Like I think about the impact that their ill or poor declining health had on me as their child. I think about the impact it's had on their lives, on how much discomfort my parents live in or lived in every day. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so I don't want that. What did they not do? What was it they were missing? Because they didn't get there for no reason, right? So you kind of slowly start to pinpoint, okay, this is what health looks like to me. This is what I want to be able to do at that age. This is what I don't want to be limited by. And that was a big driving force for me. I never want to feel limited by my body. Thank you for sharing that. But yeah. like this, this touches on something that I know you're going to want to expand on is like driving force behind your behavior yeah. and your goals. And also the level of vulnerability in that because Absolutely. that does take some vulnerability. If from mm-hmm. the top of my head, I'm thinking, well, that initially requires you to take your parents off of a pedestal, which a lot of us do yeah. or our caregivers or the people we look up to. And for most of us at one point in time or another, that was our parents. And then to look at them as like humans yes. and flawed humans because we're all flawed on Absolutely. some level. And to expect them not to be flawed is actually unfair. But 
taking them off the pedestal and like actually feeling like, what do I feel here? Yeah. And what's really motivating to me on like a fundamental needs basis? Because for you, that sounds like a real deep need and a real Mm -hmm. deep driving force. And for some people, they may not be as attached to that. So they kind of default to, hey, you know, I don't want to gain some muscle. Yeah. I want to lose some fat. Yeah, yeah. I want to run a better 5K. And, you know, those goals are better than no goals because at least that will propel them Absolutely. to change their behavior in some way, shape, or form. But I don't, I would argue it probably wouldn't change their behavior in the same way or, or with the same amount of rigor as yeah. it did with you being like, I am looking at my nightmare. Sorry. Um, I'm looking at my potential nightmare and I'm going to do whatever I can to drive towards my dream, which I'm not clearly defined of yet, but I know what the antithesis of it is. So I'm going to work away from that. And that's more motivating than, yeah, I don't lose 10 pounds. Well, it, it's not even, it's pretty simple, right? Because you can bring it down to even the most minute of tasks. So I would think like my mom has a hard time getting off the sofa. Yeah. And every time I'd see her, like she would make jokes, like I need a crane to help me off of it. And I would think to myself, like, I desperately never want to feel that way. Like I need that much assistance to do such a basic and simple movement. Yeah. Um, and to feel that limited by my body, like that sounds like a nightmare or to have to take um, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, sorry, Advil, Advil, right? What? Like an anti-inflammatory. <laughs> I was like saying like you, NSAIDs. You, oh, um, is that like the clinical term? Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so it, just around here we An ibuprofen, let's. Around here we call it Advil. There you go. So let's say, um, I because she takes such a variety of them. Jonathan, you have to fix this. <laughs> I'm just going to pop these in here now. Sorry. Um, what so, do you have to fix? Just leave it. <laughs> she would like, we would say like, my mom's favorite thing in the world to do is go shopping. So... She would be like, okay, we're going to have like a big shopping day today. Hold on. Let me go take like a fistful of ibuprofen. Yeah. And then she would have stomach ulcers. So I was like, I just never want to be in this position in my life. And I never want to role model that to my children. So that is a very powerful driving force. Like I could tell you that it's like about looking good naked because it is. It always is like I don't know anybody who doesn't want to look good naked or to feel strong or confident. But there's usually like if you just peel back the curtain a little bit further, you can find like, well, what does confidence mean to them? Why do they feel why do they not have confidence? What are they looking for from this habit or behavior or from this goal that might bring them something that they feel they're currently lacking? And it's usually so much more complicated than I just want to lose 10 pounds. Yeah. A hundred percent because it does take a little bit more of like digging into your own shit, which I was someone who didn't think I had shit until (laughs) I met you and I was like, oh, I got some shit. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Two years, baby. But exploring my own shit has made me way more understanding of my driving forces and better at setting goals because, you know, I've struggled with my weight my whole life. Um, I've struggled with eating. I've struggled with disordered eating. Yep. And I still do on some level. Like it's not not a factor in a daily life situation. Sure. But understanding the why and understanding, you know, how some some of my potential traumas manifested in shaping those behaviors has made me a lot more educated in how I behave. So that when I used to think of a weight loss goal as a cure all to my like yes. discontent, right? I, I'll be happy when I lose weight. And 
Right now, if I lost 10 pounds, I'd be like, oh, it's cool. But I wouldn't, I would know that it's not going to be fulfilling. Yes. Right. Um, and part of it for me is one of the things with weight loss that I've explored more on myself is like looking a certain way. There's social implications there. Mm-hmm. You know what? We grew up, we, we are in a very fat shaming environment. Like beyond people hate fat people and even not to say like oh everyone deeply hates fat people but it's internalized through marketing through beauty standards They're through looked everything at less than 100 percent. and so we never want to be that right we never mm-hmm. want to be that because that's deemed as unhealthy and that's we're not going to get into this today because it's a very complex complicated topic but that's mm-hmm. one of the benefits of the kind of more inclusive health size movement yeah. not to say that anyone can be healthy at every size but that health is not defined by size solely yeah and that people who ha- are have larger body sizes are not inherently healthy and people who have smaller body sizes are not inherently healthy and that can be positive and it has for me too because i always yeah. thought like as a guy six-pack abs shredded that's health and i'm yeah. like i'm probably healthier even maybe physiologically right now than when i was super lean because of how i was doing it yeah and with a lot of my females I came from the exact same place as them. Like I always had this weird, intense drive of needing to be smaller. And I didn't really understand why or where that came from. I just knew that smaller was better. Yeah. And that the smaller I was, the happier I would seemingly be. And yet the smaller I became, the more frustrated I grew to be because I was no happier and I didn't understand why. Um, And there's so many reasons behind that. It's you know, there's an issue in a misalignment of self-worth. There's the societal sort of body image and patriarchal, sorry, I had to, the patriarchal sort of like projections of the way that men and women should be. And one of the way that women should be is small, polite, non-threatening, gentle, Yeah. you know? So I find that a lot of the women I converse with all have this, desire to be as small as possible yeah and in sort of like discovering the why behind that it takes the sting out of not being that it kind of helps to sort of like reframe it like the same way you with your um eating or body dysmorphia on some level would you go that far oh for sure okay so (laughs) it's like you realize now with all of the awareness that you have that yeah, it would be nice to sort of like look this way or reach this goal, but you know that it's not going to bring you the ultimate sense of fulfillment that you you thought it would. Like yeah. you put it on this big pedestal and you're like, one day when I'm small enough, I'll finally be happy. And that's, that's actually where I'm at now because I mm-hmm. still, there is somewhat of a movement out there where like, hey, like any diet is bad and weight yes. loss goals aren't, I don't think that's the case no. at all. But if your weight loss goals are centered around like Self-worth. that's how you're chasing, you're putting all your happiness eggs in the weight loss basket, that yeah. is problematic. But if you're like, you know what, my goal is that I do want to lose weight. I'm not really comfortable with how I look and feel right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's inherently bad. And I will I help people with that as a coach. What we're yeah. saying here is like, if your self-worth is contingent on it, that is where it's more problematic. Yes. And I would challenge you to like look at it a little bit deeper because you're you're worthy regardless. And I know that probably doesn't do anyone anything for anyone, nope. but <laughs> it's just a good message to reiterate. Yeah. And that's kind of like what we mean when it comes to like understanding the driving force behind your goals. Yes, because like reaching a goal will obviously help you build a little more self-confidence, 100%. self-esteem, self-efficacy, self-worth. But like your worth should never be contingent on your body size. Yeah. Um, and kind of 
taking a harder look at where that story came from or why you believe that. It might help take some of the power out of it. Well, I lost a lot of weight when I was 13, like 60 pounds. Yeah. And I got so much affirmation. I got so much um, validation. And I don't hold anyone accountable for that because... This, these discussions weren't being had. No, they were not. So I'm never going to go back <laughs> in time and ju- you weren't as progressive. Like no one was talking no. about this. And so no one knew better, but adults were praising me. Everyone was, and it was in a good way. It was like, oh, you're taking care of yourself. You're doing these mm-hmm. things. These are awesome. We see you're exercising. But I was more socially rewarded for the changes in my body size mm-hmm. than I was for the behaviors I was exhibiting. So for example, people be like, wow, you lost so much weight. You look great, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed, I, I got that way more than I got people at school and we were kids. So I'm not saying grade eight students should have known better. I didn't know better. Mm-hmm. But for example, I would get comments like that more than I would get comments like, dude, you're eating like yogurt every day for lunch, man. It's awesome. You used yeah. to like only eat fruit roll-ups. It seems like you're really taking care. Or you know what? I see you working out all the time now, man. That's regardless of how your body looks. It's awesome that you're prioritizing exercise. Absolutely. So you're you're rewarding the beha- you're you're acknowledging the behaviors and not only the outcomes because people will feel yes. good when you compliment them, regardless if you say you look good today or you know what you were out there really putting in work. And yeah. I I fucking respect that. I figured out where mine comes from. Where the other day I actually realized, like I've said it a million times, but it finally hit me. I think the first thing I was ever told rewarded for praised for was being and I quote a pretty little girl oh yeah you were you still are very small (laughs) but you were even smaller no but I mean when I was like a baby when I was a little girl baby Samantha oh my god like my family I was the youngest by a mile I was praised and admired and adored and revered and everybody would just go on and on and tell my mother, wow, you have such a pretty little girl. And my mom took so much pride and pleasure in making sure that my hair looked perfect and my outfits were cute so that she could parade me around. As her pretty little girl. Yeah. And I very yeah, you, quickly. You, you were dressed up in a whole shitload of outfits. A hundred percent. The picture in my phone of you is, I don't know, what <laughs> What are you wearing? I was that? Mulan. You were Mulan. Which is she, for sure cultural appropriation. Well, you were like white face though. Yeah. I was a geisha. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's. But geishas paint their faces white. Okay. It's not like that's their skin tone. Should we cancel your mom? No. But like. <laughs> Yeah, so like everybody just praised me for being like pretty and small and cute and polite and quiet. Yeah. And it grew to be like, you know, it didn't matter what I said in the room. It didn't matter like I was seen first and heard second. And I always wanted to be heard first and seen second. Yeah. Um, That's always been a thing for me because nobody cared about like any of the meat of who I was, they just saw the pretty little girl and that was enough. So I realized my whole worth was centrally tied to being pretty. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you've been working on yourself for years and you saying you just realized that. And that's, that's to bring to light how deep seated some of these things can be. And this isn't a saying you have to do a whole psychological revolution Mm -hmm, to set mm -hmm. a goal. You don't. But as you like work on yourself more, you might realize some driving forces and that can help you shape more realistic goals, be more compassionate to yourself within your goal setting. Absolutely. This is kind of what that's about. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the time our goals can genuinely come from a place of self-loathing rather than self-love. Yeah. And that sounds so crazy on some level, but some of our goals can sound more like punishments half the time. Like I just want to lose 
50 pounds in six weeks. That's a punishment. Yeah, that is a punishment. That's a punishment. Some, some goals comes, are wild. That comes from self-loathing, though. Like, you must really dislike yourself to put yourself True. through. Okay, I, I see your point. Such a horrible... I didn't know where you were going there. That, that makes more sense. A hundred percent. Like, sometimes it can seem like we're actually trying to punish ourselves into better behavior, into different behavior, or into a different body, or a different life. Yeah. So sometimes it's worth it to pull yourself back and ask yourself, like, is this goal or this thing that I'm trying to achieve, where does it come from? Is it coming from a place of like self-love and self-worth and wanting to achieve great things? Yeah. Or is it because I kind of hate myself? This is what made me think. So this is an idea that you brought to me of like being reparented. Oh, yeah. So like we all have someone in our life that was just super loving. Yes. Or we know someone who is. The wise nurturing. So so I don't know. There is a little bit of like, so my grandfather was that to me. Yeah. Um, and my sister and I have talked about it. We don't know if there's like a little bit of putting someone on a pedestal after they pass. But I do mm-hmm. remember my grandfather was just the most calm, wise guy and like super loving and not reactionary. But I, I was pretty young when he passed. Like I think I was like 14, 15. So I didn't have a ton of quality time with him. Mm-hmm. And he lived in a different city. But the idea of re- when you say reparenting, I always think of him. Yeah. And a good thing there. And you think we'd think of your bubby, yeah. your grandmother. And if I were to run a goal by my grandfather, what would yeah. he say? Would he say, oh, that's a great goal. I support that. Or would he say like, are you okay? Like, I don't know. Right? Are, you, are you punishing yourself? Right? Because Like, why what, do you need to do that? And a good thing is, and, and if this doesn't resonate with you, is like, think about a friend. Like, if you ran that goal by a friend you really cared about you, what would they say? Yeah. Or if your friend came to you with a really extreme goal that just wasn't realistic and it was more punishing than it was about like working towards something, they might be like, hey, are you okay? I'm here to support you. And that would be signifying of like a less realistic goal and maybe even a punishment as a goal. Or that, you know, maybe there's a misalignment in their process, right? Like maybe someone you love comes to you and they're like, hey, so I think I want to prioritize myself, my health. And you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. Good for you. How are you going to do that? And then they're like, well, I'm going to work out for two hours a day, seven days a week. I'm going to eat a thousand calories a day of apples and nothing else. And... I'm going to run myself into the ground with as much caffeine and no sleep as possible. You're like, well, your path to achieving your goals sounds a lot like self-loathing. Like, are you okay? Do you need help? Like, is there a way that we can make this process better? It might take longer, but maybe it won't cost you your health in the process because it's the opposite of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to mention on goals there? (sighs) Talk about smart goals. You know my two favorite cheesy Instagram things that I'm going to bring up in regards to goals. You're often not chasing like an end result. You're likely chasing a feeling. So bridging off of the emotional conversation we just had and seeing progress, like tracking your progress in the gym is so much more rewarding often than tracking your progress like on the scale with your diet. Like there are so many bigger and better goals in like self-development in general than simply like attributing your happiness and worth to a number, which we all are still far too guilty of. And again, I could go into how like that's a societal problem that we're very fat loss centered. Yeah. But there are so many other goals outside of fat loss that I really want for all of you and encourage you all to explore. Yeah. And some of those goals, like they might be fat loss centric or, you know, 
fat loss might be a symptom of them. Yes. That's like, so the goal is I want to eat more active. I want to eat more whole foods. I want to eat more protein. And sometimes that alone will elicit the symptom of weight loss, even though you're not myopic about weight loss. And that that can be a, a useful strategy. And that I would actually apply that strategy to someone who has been struggling and been setting tons of weight loss goals over yeah. a period of years and it's not working because I've had clients where like you set a weight loss goal and they just achieve it and it's just boom bada boom and yeah. I'm not one of those people actually but if someone loses weight by a more of a result of their process mm-hmm. then those kind of goals can be better for people in those situations yeah it's just sometimes when you see weight loss as the only like the be all and in the end all of success you really miss out on a lot of life. Yeah, you might get stronger. You might develop a better relationship with 100%. food. There's all these things you might do. You might have enjoyed time with friends and family. Yeah. Like, I cannot imagine. There are people who would, like, skip holidays with their family. You know what I mean? Like, skip yeah. Christmas dinner because seeing the weight move on the scale might be more important. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like, there's so much life to be lived outside of fat loss. Yeah. And if it's the byproduct of a lifestyle, totally different. And it's okay to want to lose fat or to want to lose weight. Like that is perfectly valid. It just, it can't be the only goal you have for a lifetime. Yeah. And to, to or it probably there, will be. <laughs> if it is your only goal. Yeah. Once you achieve that goal, what do you, you don't really have anywhere else to go because changing behavior for a goal is is very supported. Yes. Changing behavior to maintain a goal, not going to be nearly as successful. So you you can convince yourself, you know what, I'm a little bit hungry, I'll eat a little bit less. Or I'm not going to have that piece of cake or I'm not going to do this. And I'm going to mm-hmm. work it on that Friday when I really don't want to get that workout in because I'm working towards this motivating goal of losing weight. Yeah. But if you've lost that weight and you're still only in it for that weight loss, it's a lot harder to get yourself amped up to for maintenance. Yeah. Right. So then having goals outside of fat loss, like performance based goals, you know what? Um, strength based goals, being able to do a new competition, yeah. building muscle, whatever, those things will keep you coming back. And by proxy, you will maintain your initial goal or you're yes. more likely to maintain your initial goal. Well, there are people who actually have been dieting for so long and for so many years of their life that when they're finally at maintenance or they're in a place where they're not even focused on dieting and on any spectrum anymore, they feel aimless because they're like, I feel guilty. I should probably be on a diet. So you were saying, you know, people who have been dieting for like decades and I, I, now I do too. And we all maybe have known a family member who, as long as you've known them, they've been saying in passing, oh, I'm on a diet. I can't have that. And Mm -hmm. it's been 20 years. And it's like, well, whatever you're doing isn't working. And that's the type of person that I would recommend. Don't have a fat loss goal. Have a process that might be symptomatic of some weight loss. Honestly, it's a lifestyle. We've said it a thousand times. The biggest changes in your life will come from the lifestyle that you live daily. Yeah. So I don't know. It's about finding out what what's most important to you and why. And that applies to that applies outside Everything. of fitness too, right? Like yeah. back to like education or your career. People who advance in their career, other than people who just inherit it by name or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you truly ha- through merit, uh, like achieve through your career, it was usually by showing up every day. Absolutely. And you know, years and years and years and years, like it took so many years to get that promotion. 
right? Yeah. Um, and the, that that's more of a lifestyle or people who finish higher level education. I mean, you get a PhD, that was your lifestyle for 10 years. Yeah. You woke up and on a daily basis, you were studying, you were writing, you were doing TA stuff, you were doing whatever. And I only know all this stuff because my sister's getting her PhD, but I, I've seen it for 10 years with her. Like this is what she does. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's her lifestyle. And obviously fitness doesn't need to be that intense, but it needs to be a constant. And that's why adherence matters. And like, setting up goals that are realistic and actual that you actually are motivated by are so important because mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to do it for a lifetime if you loathe it. Yeah. Right. And if you hate it and it's only contingent on a fat loss goal, the maintenance of of doing that after it's achieved is low. Yeah. People do that with school, right? Where they cram for four years and then once they're done with school, they never they're like fuck school. This school analogy. <laughs> oh my God. This whole podcast <laughs> is just one big analogy for school. I'm Yeah. Yeah, but you know what I mean. (laughs) I definitely know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Like, you really do have to learn how to fall in love with the process to reaching them. Which is so played out, but it's so true. I know. Yeah. You miss a lot along the way if you don't. Yeah. Well. Anything else you want to talk about with goals? Oh, my God. No. Okay. We've beaten the goal to death. Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So that'll be it for today's episode. This is um, basically... Rose and Thorns, that's our newest segment. We'll, we'll do that every every start of the episode just to kind of share and be more realistic and honest with you guys because social media can be pretty a highlight f- reel. A highlight reel and life is definitely definitely not one. And right now for us, it's not. We're struggling. We're seeing some successes, but we're also struggling. So we want to share with that. And um, as always, follow this on Spotify or Apple Music. I think we're on Google Play Store now too. Mm-hmm. If you're ever interested in coaching, we offer that. And you want, if you want to apply through that, you can do that through our website. And lastly, we do a free weekly newsletter where we do research reviews, uh, education recommendations, and a Monday mindset email. So if you're into that, that's a free thing you can do on our website, which is www.5-elements.ca. Yeah. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.